Hello, and welcome to the OBN Ambassador Athlete podcast series. My name is Tony, and I'll be your host as we meet and talk with various members of our elite Ambassador Athlete program. Each of these athletes have served in the military or currently serve in various branches. Today, we're going to talk to our competition shooting team made up of five members. First, Army veteran Chuck Lowe, who served as a 13 Bravo artillery cannon crew member and competes in North Carolina. Also, Army veteran Craig Rundell, who served for 26 years as a 13 F-40 artillery and forward observer and competes out of Utah. Tom Bush, a Marine veteran who served for eight years as an infantry platoon sergeant who competes out of Nebraska. And Crystal Perry, who currently serves in the Army National Guard and has for 11 years as a 35 Mike Intel interrogator. She also competes out of Utah. And finally, our long-range shooter, Army veteran Jake Wesley. Jake served for five years in the Army as a 13 Alpha Field Artillery Officer and based out of Idaho. So let's get right to it. Um, so for the group today uh, that's tuning in, we're going to talk a little bit about our athlete program. Obviously, a lot around competitive shooting. Uh, how to get involved in it, how our team got involved in it, why it's important to them, what it's like to be in the veteran, uh, or not in the veteran, but the uh, shooting community in general. So we'll talk through a few things like that today. Before we get into that, we we do want to let our uh, our guests have the opportunity to introduce themselves beyond the uniform, especially the veterans. Listen here, they probably picked up on the 13 Bravos and 11 Bravos right away, and they know what that is but they don't know each of us individually. And that's what we'd like to do is take a minute. Uh, we'll go around the horn there, starting with uh, Chuck up in the left corner. So Chuck, so you, you got out of the army after four years and, and what have you been up to? Uh, so basically after I got out of there, uh, you know, I, I thought I was going to be like everybody's hot commodity and found out quickly that wasn't quite the thing. So I ended up uh, working as mechanically inclined. So I got into auto body repair. I was fortunate enough to get in there and I kind of worked, you know, cut my teeth as a technician and kind of worked my way up now to where I run a uh, Chevrolet Cadillac Collision Center. From there, I met my wife. Uh, we had two awesome kids, built a house out here in North Carolina. Uh, got ourselves a little oasis off in the woods. So it's been pretty great. That's cool. All right. So other than grow one hell of a beard, Jake, what have you been up to? So. <laughs> <laughs> I've been out of the army for not even a year, so it's still pretty fresh. I moved to a place where I didn't know anyone, came out here to pursue a dream and to uh, my snowmobiling, shooting, and uh, dirt biking activities. And uh, since then, that's kind of gone crazy. Work for a world-renowned company in the snowmobiling industry, work for a uh, firearms industry company as a project manager, um, which is a men too, and then uh, bought a house. Things have been just crazy crazy busy i think cool. i've had one day off in the last 27 days so it's been great i can't complain honestly yeah tom how about you tell us a little bit about you uh got out i i don't know uh maybe the oldest one out i guess as far as how long i've been out been out since 2007 my wife was uh dumb enough to follow me back to nebraska she was a north carolina native that's where i met her down there married her down there 
Uh, and then the first winter up here, she she realized that she probably screwed up. Um, <laughs> and then re-realized that again here a few weeks ago when we were negative 17 and 37 and all that jazz. But three kids, one out of high school, got one that's a freshman, one that's still in uh, in fourth grade. I've uh, been doing the law enforcement thing for about 14 years, uh, 10 of it as the boss, as the elected the elected sheriff of, of the county that I live in. Um, got into competitive shooting. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I was always around guns, always loved to shoot, but didn't know anything about the competitive stuff and got into that probably 2015, started shooting some, uh, my first major probably. And then 2017 really started gas on it. And kids like to shoot, wife likes to shoot, you know, so living the dream. That's cool. That's cool. Crystal, how about you? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm actually still in. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would say I'd get a award for that, but it's not good. I'd rather be out. So yeah, exactly. So, but uh, <clears throat> yeah. So I uh, I've been around guns my whole life. Um. Oh, sorry. I'm I'm a 35 Mike human intelligence collector. That's a big fancy word for interrogator. Worked for the NSA. I worked down on the border for a while uh, throughout my army career, um, and then I served on the SARTS team, the Small Arms Readiness Training Section, teaching small arms and. Actually, that's how I got into competition shooting. Uh, I competed for the Army and never really had that competition bug until I competed for the Army. I'd been around guns my whole life, and I actually have been a firearms instructor before I joined the Army. And I taught concealed carry classes here in Utah and uh, pistol and rifle courses. And so I, I've always loved guns. I've always been around firearms, and I I did politics as well before I joined the Army. So I sat on the board of the Utah Shooting Sports Council and lobbied for the Second Amendment, and I still sit on the board of the Utah Shooting Sports Council. So the Second Amendment and firearms have always been near and dear to my heart. And so, yeah, the competition bug kind of kind of caught me, and now that's what we do on the civilian side, and yeah. we go do the three-gun stuff, and I love it. It's just, it it's a reason for me to focus my energy somewhere other than where it shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. They, you mentioned about border. Have they been trying to call you back to work? I mean, <laughs> I mean I'll go if they call. But... I think Texas hasn't handled at this point, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Craig. So, yes. So we we talked to the the uh, the senior guy of the group here. You're yeah. in the military, that is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the tallest man of the group. Yeah. Come on. Get that noisy thing out of here. Um, yeah. So I retired and December 2021, so I've been on only a couple of years. Uh, life has been pretty good. I can't complain. Since I've been out, I've started working. I work, I own and operate with Crystal uh, T-shirt company, uh, online apparel company, and we also do executive protection security as exec EP agents. So we work for several different clients and do several different kinds of security jobs, and that's kind of what we do now as far as work goes. It's more part-time go. We're retired, so we don't have to work all the time. So it's kind of nice. And then, um, yeah, so we shoot. And then we also race and have fun on dirt bikes, too. So we do multiple sports and spend a lot of time doing activities outside. Yeah, that's cool. It's called Ragged Edge, right? Yes, sir. Ragged Edge Clothing Company. They owe me a sweatshirt still, too, I think. So they <laughs> I have a whole room for Sandy, right did you send you one? Wait, all right. you did not. So the... Uh, We'll get you on. So, if uh, so, have to check them out there, Ragged Edge Apparel. So, they're based out of Utah. So, anybody listening, definitely check them out. So, um, 
All right, cool. That that gave us a good idea. And again, that you know, as we talk through this, if there's gaps you want to fill in, like something you didn't say in your introduction, you want, you know, you you'd like to bring up by all means, bring that up. But, um, you know, in in OVN, a lot of what we focus on, uh, especially with uh, some of our younger athletes or younger veterans that we work with that are just coming out of the military. This is where we see a lot of excitement. Chuck, you made the note, you know, you walked out the door of the army and everybody wanted me. We, they just, you just had to let them know you're available or something to that effect. And, and we do see that, you know, we, we see you're on fire, you know, and uh, especially the younger guys, younger girls, and all of a sudden it doesn't pan out, uh, you know, or, or they're getting paid at the bottom of the food chain. And, and uh, so the transition, you all know the challenges that can happen. Jake, like, you know, you've been at it, you know, you're, you're you know, Jake is, is, that's a great point. You're kind of at that point where you finally starting to settle in. You found that job. I can remember us having a conversation six months ago or whatever, you know, uh, I got my resume out here and I'm interviewing here and, you know, I could hear the sound in your voice. Okay. It's, you know, I got to find something I think was his exact took, words, you know, so I took four months of retirement I call it, you know, just mm -hmm. normal build every day. So, right. Right. And, and everybody goes through that. But what we see is about the six month point, we see a lot of guys and girls it, it that, and I, and I could tell you a lot of the young enlisted that come out as 11 Bravos, you know, infantry, they don't really have any, they have a they have a skill, but not a civilian skill per se. But they got good discipline. You know, they understand. They follow directions, things like that. But they find out the civilian world doesn't even they don't understand that because they're so used to people not following directions and not doing what they're supposed to that they built their processes around that. So they start to feel like a fish out of water. So what we like to always talk to veterans and our team, especially about when we get into groups like this, is about your transition and if kind of when you talk about your transition, some of the challenges, maybe one point, if, if I did it again, what is the one biggest thing that I would change? So Crystal, she's, she's, she's can kind of float around this one a little bit, you know, cause she's, she's still in the game. So we, we, uh, we won't do that, but we'll, we'll pick on Tom first and Tom, uh, you know, now, 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 a hell of a career in law enforcement, you know, elected, a, you know, an, an elected position now, that's quite an accomplishment. But when you walked out of the Marine Corps, tell everybody, what was your first job? What was your plan? You know, I, I was, I was like Chuck, like, I, you know, I mean, I was a staff NCO, you know, I, I, I was a platoon commander. Uh, I had a platoon of dudes, you know, 75 guys, like millions and millions of dollars worth of equipment underneath me. And I thought kind of like the same thing Chuck did, like, all right, who's who, who's first? Who's signing me first? Where's this where's this six figure contract for for work? Uh, and it didn't end up that way. You know, we moved back here, uh, bought a piece of ground, had a house on it, but it was dilapidated. You know, so I was working, I was working a a couple couple things under the table. You know, maybe that the Uncle Sam didn't know about. I wasn't reporting on, so I could still work on the house. And so actually, when I first got out, um, I went to work for Home Depot. Law enforcement was not on my radar at that point in time, and I lasted doing the retail thing for about six months. I grew up swinging a hammer and, and, and a guy come in one day and he had seen me, you know, at the Home Depot and stuff. And he's like, hey, I'll pay you, you know, the same thing they're paying you here for working outside. And I said, absolutely. 
and it was tough. You know, we were, you know, I didn't have three boys then. I just had my oldest, my oldest boy, Tucker. And so we were living paycheck to paycheck, hand to mouth. And uh, probably, and we were young, you know, I, God, what, how old was I when I got out? 27, you know, a lot of life experience in the military and, and doing things in that nature, but not a whole lot like starting out fresh. Like, you know, we, we had a pretty good support system here. And that was probably the biggest thing that helped us out, you know, having my family here, uh, Lee's family was, you know, 1500 miles away in North Carolina, but it was, it was good to have that, that family support system. And that probably helped me put on track and then finally got our feet underneath of us a little bit. And then, then the law enforcement thing. And I kind of worked up from there, but definitely probably would have done a little bit more research. Um, and, probably tried to do a little bit better job of lining stuff up as far as like work to make sure that that solid check was there. You know, we kind of really relied on, on the, 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 the VA to make sure that that money was rolling in to kind of keep us afloat to try to cover everything in the interim. And oof, that was a, that was a rough decision. And if we would have tried to do that now, you know, with the way inflation and stuff is, we, we, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. So it, it's a tough, it's a tough road getting out. I mean, it really is. If you're not smart about it. What, what, how, what landed you in law enforcement? I mean, how'd that come about? Uh, ran into a guy down at the lumber yard. He worked part-time at the lumber yard. I went and pick up some supplies and he's like, Hey, he's like, uh, we're, we're hiring, you know? And I'm like, you know, at, at the sheriff's office, you know? And, and I knew he worked there and that was a part-time gig for him at the lumber yard. And, and I'm like, cool, I'm really good at kicking indoors. And I realized really quickly that the skill set that I had from coming from the infantry community to what community policing was, was, was totally different. Um, so it was definitely a gear change for me. You know, you had to kind of slow some stuff down and use what we call verbal judo and not just regular judo. You know, that that's frowned upon on, when you, on regular traffic stops. So, Yeah. But uh, no, it was just happenstance. I mean, I, I really did miss the structure of, of the military, you know, and the, and the law enforcement yeah. community added that structure in that brotherhood. You know, I moved hundreds of miles away from anybody that I served with. You know, we, we kept in contact on the phone and emails and stuff, but missing that, that, that camaraderie, that brotherhood, so to speak, so that it kind of felt like second nature. It just kind of felt natural to, to roll there uh, with that opportunity. So. Yeah, that's cool. I, and and that's, we see, uh, you know, that's a good message to a lot of uh, of veterans to get out. We have one on our board who was a Marine. Spencer is is now, uh, uh, he's a policeman. And uh, he really, did, he's, he did a couple other things. Uh, he worked actually at a Home Depot. That's where I met him a long time ago. And uh, he did IT recruiting and all that. And he found his place, you know, wearing a police uniform and, you know, and a lot of commonalities there. So. That's cool. That's cool. And uh, now, how long in law enforcement? Uh, fourteen years. Fourteen years. That's great. Might might be a big change. Uh, I think uh, the two the Utahns, the Utah. What what are you? If you're, I'm like a Nebraskan. So what is it when you're from Utah? Utah. Utahian. So another name for that, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Craig and Crystal. Craig and Crystal might be privy to some news that might be might be coming. There might be a career change coming. So we'll see what happens. All right. All right. Cool. Chuck, tell us a little bit about uh, how long you've been out now. Oh, I don't even know. What, 13 years, 2011, I got out. Um, so I, I did kind of like what Tom was saying, where 
I took my, I had a bunch of terminal leave saved up. So I was one of those people that joined the army and did nothing but deploy and then got out. Uh, so I had no time for like leave. I didn't have a family or anything going on in the military. So I had nowhere to go to do anything. So I, I got out of that. And, you know, I thought that I was going to have this marketable skill as a 13 Bravo artillery person, you know, like that was going to translate somewhere into the civilian world. And uh, so I got out thinking that I was going to get an offer, you know, so I didn't work too hard. Like on that terminal leave, like if I could change it, I'd buckle down and I would have really, during my ACAP, I would have really paid attention to where my exit strategy was. I thought that it was all just magically going to fall in place. And uh, it didn't quite happen that way. So I did, uh, I was fortunate enough to know some like former operators in the area and Fort Bragg. Um, and yeah, and that's the thing. I didn't go back home. I stayed here. So originally from Indiana. Uh -huh. So I had zero support structure here, but I knew that. I didn't have the money to buy a farm and I didn't want to work in a factory. So going back there wasn't really an option. So I hung out here. I knew some of those guys that worked for um, uh, a company that did a lot of op for, for all the, the Sears schools and things like that. So I picked up some odds and then, you know, working for a couple hundred dollars on the weekend running, you know, op for or, or doing whatever kind of making ends meet for the time. Um, and then, I just started, I got to that panic phase right at the end where I was like, man, I, I actually need money now. <laughs> uh, so I just started, I just started throwing applications in anywhere that would take one. Um, and in high school, I took some vocational school stuff. So uh, I did mechanics. So I, I, it was an easy switch to go into an auto body career and kind of got in there. And I found out real quick, like you were saying, the, uh, the attention to detail and actually being motivated and following instructions worked really, really well for me. Um, so, uh, very detail oriented, there's procedures. And as you know, cars now are, you know, it's like a rocket ship. Every single one of them have so many electronics and things, and it kind of translated well to, to what I did. And I, I was able to rise real fast in that rank and kind of sealing out pretty quick and then decided I needed something else to do, uh, something to exercise my mind a little bit more. So I switched into, uh, a program where I was able to actually get veterans jobs getting out of the military in the Fort Bragg area. So I partnered with a collision company and we, um, we made a program. Where we taught people how to be auto body technicians. We gave you tools, the training, all the things that you needed to, to really go out and succeed. And we were actually able to locate, uh, I can't remember at the time, I think it was 37 different States. We could place somebody and kind of get them rolling. Um, and after that, again, kind of hit a ceiling where I couldn't go anywhere. So then I kind of rolled that over into uh, working for the Cadillac dealership. And I've been running that one now for about five years. Uh, it's been great. Uh, I kind of got my range where I can just make things happen. And it's worked really well for me. That's cool. All right, cool. Craig. Yes, sir. Well, so my kind of transition period started 2005 after my first tour in iraq when we uh coming home from the high off tempo we had an 18 month tour on that one so it was a pretty long tour away from home long time and i was struggling to reintegrate back into being home and so that's where the dirt biking thing really kind of span out and started for me again was i had done it before but i had a young family so i got rid of all my stuff but i picked back up again in 05 and started riding and then it translated back into racing and I kind of kept that going for quite a long time. And then throughout my career, I moved around a lot, worked at different jobs, operations, taught ROTC down in local college here in uh, Southern Utah for three years. Um, you know, and then I taught operations back up here again. And that's where I finished my career was for our instructor 
uh, fortunate where I met Crystal. And I kind of started my transition again with her uh, when we met, because we met through shooting, competitive shooting in the Army. That's how we met with a, a mutual friend of ours that she was working with on that Sarge team. And uh, she's actually the one who got me into shooting and <laughs> taught me how to how to shoot properly and, and, and hey it's hard when you're john was uh i told him i wouldn't go back so <laughs> it's hard when your jobs your your job was uh your weapon was your hand mic for I so mean, long it was to a point but i also supported the infantry for most of my careers yeah. i was used to also having to use my m4 but definitely my m4 was not or my m9 i carried both we're not definitely primary means I was always on the radios. Like I had four radios going at the same time, most of the time. And it was just like, I mean, talking with the uh, guys like Chuck, you know, trying to call in those rounds or using air support and stuff like that. So that was fun. Like she taught me a lot when we, when we met about six years ago, uh, I just went through a crappy divorce and changed life changes and coming out of being an alcoholic. And that was another bad thing I picked up from the service was, bad drinking habits to translate into alcoholism later on. And that's where the dirt biking, the shooting filled in those gaps. And I actually became sober and I haven't had a drink in five years. And yeah, all right. Two years ago. Well, a couple awesome. years ago, I also quit dipping. So it's like, what? Always, <laughs> yeah. Always bad habits went out the window. And I, that was a bet I lost. I bet. Oh, okay. And I bet him that. If he could quit dipping, then he could afford a Harley. Yeah. So he... months later, it's the Harley. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, I mean, there's just a lot of different things with these hobbies that we've gotten into and do yeah. do for fun, but it's kind of filled in those gaps. And it's a, it's really helped me through life changes, transitions out of the Army. That was a tough one, too, when I got out and I retired. And like you said, that first six months is a butt kicker because – you had the camaraderie with all the friends and family members you had. You will go to work every day. You were their family. You weren't just there with just guys and girls you worked with. Now, you guys were, especially in the Utah National Guard, like we're so tight here. We know we know each other for our whole career. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that just went away. The next day I came home, didn't go back to work, and it just started getting worse and worse and worse and worse and getting harder to do things every single day and get motivated. So, you know, three gun has definitely helped me get out of that hole and it's taught me a lot of stuff. And and three gun is playing chess with firearms. Like I'm not a very good chess player, so I still learn. Still a mid-pack shooter, still trying to grow and develop on my shooting skills, and Crystal still crushes me every dang match. I give her up for her money now, but she wins. I usually screw up somewhere. And um yeah, we're just having fun doing that. And when we're not shooting, we're racing dirt bikes. So so how how'd you get into like the uh the security work, you know, the that you know, the way you do part-time now? How'd you get involved in that? So that was from friends of mine that I worked with in the in the local guard here. They've worked and done I had some contacts and it really wasn't something I really wanted to do. And I'm like, you know, I'll give it a shot, see how it goes. And uh, some of the jobs I do is pretty good. Some, some you just scratch your head and you're just like, man, what am I doing? <laughs> it's like, it's the people you work with. Like some of the crew, because I manage when I'm working a lot of managing people, I'm not really on post, not, not posting on security, except for one certain client who I will be working with. But uh, 
even that like some of the people i work with they just like shake my head i'm like <laughs> oh yeah who are these people but yeah uh, you know because they'll walk off their post and not care especially in jobs in california where they're their um sense of uh ownership when they're on the job or anything like that that there's doesn't exist so it's like you make them mad for one second and they'll walk off and you're just like okay i guess <laughs> find somebody else filling that gap from yeah, yeah other than that i mean i kind of dabble in it and then i don't mind doing it i enjoy it so i'm gonna keep doing it for a while so so let me ask crystal a question so how, what how, what age were you when you first started shooting or you know Trained and used a gun. I mean, I I started shooting when I was really young. I mean, my dad, my dad's a self-proclaimed mountain man. I mean, I I don't think he'd live in in the indoors if it wasn't for my mom. You know, I think he would just live in a tent out back. Yeah. So, like, but yeah, he would take us shooting all the time when we were younger. But we would shoot mostly like twenty-two rifles. Nothing, nothing like uh what we do now. But I didn't start shooting pistols and getting into tactical type shooting tactical and self-defense shooting until i was in college actually oh yeah so, yeah i uh i was in college and i started working for a gun store and then there was an instructor there and so i started learning from them and so that kind of started my firearms career off so i've i've dabbled in the firearms world for 15 plus years you know longer than my military career um oh, and wow. I, I really loved it but mm. yeah jay tell us uh you what what's it been a year you said right so mm -hmm. that tells uh i can remember when uh i think we were on the phone when you left your base driving to idaho i think that's when we had our first conversation yeah i think i was driving from texas at that time but yeah this might be a little bit of long-winded story so cut me off because i can talk <laughs> till the you know sun rises but uh yeah so i grew up in uh I moved around a lot, but uh, stayed in Minnesota the longest, fortunately, and uh, did a little bit of shooting there, like in terms of, I guess, fun and hunting. Uh, wasn't much of a hunter, really did not capitalize on that in Minnesota, unfortunately. Uh, went to college in North Dakota, and that's where, uh, you know, the whole guard ROTC thing started. Uh, had somebody like Craig as a mentor and in that program and uh i had some friends who got into shooting so i decided to get into it and uh, i did a couple matches uh worked with some different organizations just shooting training stuff like that and then uh i actually didn't do uh, a very consistent competitive shooting until i moved out to hawaii and met a guy named david um i'm gonna screw up his last name kakawa um he's a very competitive shooter in the uspsa um and uh, so I started doing that, uh, honing pistol, because I think pistol's one of the harder uh, types of shooting out there. And uh, so I did a little two-gun pistol uh, as much as I could. But uh, with my career path, you know, I was kind of the outlier in terms of officers. My first school they ever sent me to was the Marksmanship Instructor Course. And fortunately, that school, the instructor who ran it was a three-gun shooter, but also a platoon sergeant who was prior into uh, the 25th Infantry Division. And uh, the way he did the school was very well taught. Um, and uh, it just kind of spiked my interest of uh, when I was, you know, being a, you know, yeah, I was an officer in the Army. Uh, but, uh, you know, 
I made it a point to all the guys, whether it be 13 Bravos, 13 Foxes, um, 13 uh, Juliets, um, you name it, Romeos, just, hey, you're you're carrying this thing around. You might as well, like, we can get after it without bullets kind of thing. Um, so I honed in on that with everyone, uh, made sure they understood how the PEC-15 works, how your ACOG works, how your RCO works, or sorry, that is an ACOG, but how your red dot works, all that stuff, you know, how to zero your weapon. Uh, I was very fortunate we changed over the marksmanship direction in the military to the new standard in the Army. Uh, I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's it's way better in terms of having your force to reload in a stressful environment, using a utilizing a barrier, um, all that stuff. So it, it really honed in. Then I was fortunate uh, when I switched over to the uh, I was two years on the gun line, so with the 13 Bravos, Juliets, Romeos, and then I was uh, switched over to fire support officer, fortunately, and I was in a reconnaissance company, so we were small, you know, less than 60 people, and uh, I was kind of one of those people who could kind of read into my leadership, so as long as I sent them <laughs> calendars with two months out of our training schedule, they didn't ask me what I was doing. We just did it, you know, so uh, I got involved with... Um, in Hawaii, they have the uh, SAMT trainer, which is an indoor uh, simulation room, uh, utilizes um, air in the magazines, and the magazines run as a uh, full weight. And I tell you what, that was some of the best training. And I was so connected with the contractors there, they would just let me, without having to go through the proper channels, they would just text me when openings would be there. And I had a five-man team, including myself, and we'd go in there as much as we could. And we're talking M17 sidearms, Glock sidearms, M4s, saws even. And we would set up a curriculum to advance ourselves. And all of our guys shot expert. And Craig will like this, but, um, you know, we were the best shooters, I would say, in the company consistently. I'm not saying the best ever, but uh, we did a really good job of just honing in on that. Um, and then fortunately, I was attached with the, we call it the snot, but the sniper teams. So that's what led me into, you know, you can't just stand by and be there at the range. You got to do it with the guys. So I'd table eight with them on the 2010s, the M110s. If they need somebody to carry an M110 because somebody wasn't around, I'd volunteer, you know, um, including carrying the radios, whatever. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that stuff. And uh, yeah, just kind of. Went from there and including on the background, trying to get guys to come to USPSA matches, uh, brought some, I worked with, uh, in the fire support realm, you work with all branches. So Navy, Army, Marine Corps, and, uh, you know, kind of tried to hone them in. I mean, we brought everyone from special operations that I worked with to, to the matches and, you know, it's not the most sought after type of shooting, uh, with everyone in USPSA, you know, it's not exactly practical compared to what they teach you in the military right um but i think it teaches you some really good stuff about just planning practicing reloads dry firing trying to shoot very quick target acquisition all that stuff right um so that's how i kind of got into that realm which sparked into working with srt and all sorts of stuff in the area and local agencies and did a lot of stuff with that um so yeah, I mean, hopefully that answers the question. I'm kind of well, going off in a rabbit hole, but well, no, no. Talk talk a little bit about you know um, you, you left the army, left Texas, and you headed for Idaho, and kind of how how did that go? Uh, so I left the army, 
and I was I had a lot of terminal leave. I was super fortunate with that. You know, I was medically discharged. Um, so they gave me some extra time, which I think was 30 days, but still fortunate with that. And uh yeah, I left Idaho or left the arm or Hawaii, moved to Texas for a month, gathered up my stuff at my parents and drove up to Idaho and uh chased the dream on the snowmobiling side. But I chose Idaho because I knew uh firearms wise, which is what I like to do and train. Um, it was really respected in that state. Um, and there's a general consensus around that. Utah, I would say Utah as well. Utah is definitely on my top list there as well. And uh you know, to be honest, since I've been out, I haven't done a competition. Um, last summer, I focused more on the dirt bike side. Uh, but this summer, I kind of pushed that back. I got some per uh, like individual stuff I got to work on progressive progression. I did a couple of hard enduro races and it really kicked my butt. And I'm like, man, I'm out of shape. Uh, Hawaii was great. It gives you the skills to just, you know, attack any sort of environment. But uh, I physically was not letting myself get there. I kind of just, you know, stopped all that, which was my own doing, no one else's. So yeah, this year, this year, um, you know, fortunately I started working at a men too, uh, as a project manager there. Uh, we focus, most people know us for magazines. Uh, fortunately now we're moving into the bolt action side and some other entities, which is really cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, this summer, my goal is to, you know, try to hit up those USPSAs locally and then try to uh, travel a little bit for some of the, you know, some of the bigger stuff, whether it be PRS, the, I'm going to screw this up. Crystal will probably know it. The long range uh, is it LRP or NRA. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. So I, I'm honestly probably the least experienced out of all these guys in this realm, but uh, you know, I'm not afraid of failing. So we create, we, team uh partnered with a company american defense manufacturing and took our uh technology for our uh new modular platform of bolt action rifles and we put it into their um precision chassis and so we're gonna you know label it as ours but anyways uh i was fortunate my company gave me a really good bolt action setup they've been helping me out with anything i need essentially uh so i'm just like i gotta take this we gotta get some data for the company gotta have some people with some background and if i'm helping develop this stuff i need to be there again so yeah i shot a little long range before hunting season this year um nothing crazy but uh it really made me realize like i i want to hone into that a little bit more uh i'm not saying i'm the most proficient pistol shooter granted i shoot I'm the tester for our company too. So I shoot thousands of rounds sometimes a week, man. I, if I could talk about the projects we do, I probably shoot 10,000 rounds through the same pistol over and over. Um, even if I don't like them, <laughs> but, uh, I would like to hone in on that per se, uh, on the long range side. So that's what kind of led me into, uh, wanting to pursue that a little bit, just to see what that side's like, you know, I'm kind of one of those people who just flips all sorts of different directions. Yeah, I mean, you know this with me doing dirt biking, snowmobiling, this, who knows what else I'll come up with to do next. But right. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. And hopefully I'll come down to Utah and meet Craig and Crystal and see what, you know, I've never I, I think three guns great. I don't know if I can afford it. I don't know that that uh I don't have the equipment exactly that they do. And 
I've shot with those kind of guys and holy cow, those pistols are amazing and rifles. And so anyways, yeah, that's just kind of what I'm pursuing this summer uh, in the fall and hopefully for the future. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a good, you know, good point, Jake, you know, everybody that we bring onto the team, we, it, it's not a, we have all different levels and all different sports, you know, new, uh, maybe new to this type or this style, you know, for, for anybody that listens to this, that's in a position to support a shooting team. Uh, we hope you heard Jake, he needs some, uh, help buying some guns so he can compete in, <laughs> he can compete in free gun. No, so the, uh, <laughs> But I didn't mean it like that. I, I'm, I'm. Oh, I did. Good on that. Yeah, I did. yeah. We have a plan, Jake. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Yeah, we yeah. got a plan going, buddy. We got a plan. Yeah. yeah. And I love yeah. it when a plan comes together. So. That's right. That's right. All right. The, um, Chuck, tell us how did you, you? I mean, you talked about it, but how did you actually get into competitive shooting? I mean, what what led you to it? So when I was in the army, uh, you know, so well, kind of. Going back, kind of like what Crystal was saying, as I grew up, like at five years old, I had my own shotgun. We we hunted for, that's what we ate. Like we didn't go to the grocery store. We ate what we hunted. We go to school, drag our little sleds out on the lake and go ice fishing all night until it's time to come home and skin blue, or you'll scale bluegill. So I grew up from four or five years old, you know, really shooting and getting in the outdoors. Uh, kind of like her, I never really did anything tactical at all. There was no pistols. There was none of that. It was all really based in the hunting, muzzle loaders, things like that that were legal in Indiana. Um, in the military, I was exposed, so I was able to go to armament school. And as a 13 Bravo, we do a lot, a lot of shooting um, of all different weapon systems, whether it be grenades or fully auto, you know, like the 249s, 240s, uh, the M4s, uh, and that kind of you know, per, you know, got a little interest in that. I was like, you know, how, how awesome is it? I got the picture of the big belt a 50 ammo across your chest when you're like 18 you know thinking you're awesome uh so that kind of ignited something in me a little bit and uh so then i went to armament school and i was like well this is actually really easy to build these so then i went home and i was like well i can do this so i started building rifles um and i built one identical to my military platform and uh, i was like well i want to be good so i started going out we had a little thing here they called it like the zombie shooters association and what it was kind of like a sort of like three gun but there were the zombie targets and uh you, you each one you had to shoot a certain way and whatever and it was just a way for me to practice a lot mm -hmm. um and being at fort bragg you know the home of special operations there's a lot of guys that got out and did some kind of a special range and they do special events. And I was able to get out there and kind of get introduced to that world a little bit. And it kind of started out, I, I, all of carbine kind of matches. So everything with the M4 or something like that. Um, but it was like low, it was like low scale. There was no money on the table. It wasn't anything to win. I was just going out there hanging out with guys, you know, that I didn't have, you know, a real good support system right out of the military. Um, and then one day my buddy and I were sitting around talking about this benefit that was about an hour away. And it was like, bring a 22 rifle and a pistol and there's this competition and the winner wins a gun. I was like, ah, you know, there, there's worse ways to spend 20 bucks to go shoot. And, you know, it was a good, it was a good cause and everything. So we went out there, did that. And I won a rifle. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe there's something to this, you know? So then I started researching how to get into it. And, uh, Long story short, I ended up falling into USPSA because that was the biggest organization that I could find. I could find a bunch of YouTube videos of what equipment did I need, what kind of pistols did I need, what it, you know, everything that kind of went into it. 
Uh, and then I did the whole YouTube Jerry Michalek how to shoot a pistol course for myself <laughs> to try to figure that piece out. Uh, and then I started getting into that. And then the longer you're in it, you start learning, you know, little bits like, uh, and now I'm trying to dabble in the PRS world as well, because that's something new and exciting to me. And, and three gun would regularly shoot out to five, 600 yards. So now all of a sudden ballistics are becoming a thing, you know, where it's not just like, oh yeah, I shoot the target at 20 yards and I zero and I'm good. You know, 300 yards is a dead hold. I'm good. Um, we're really adjusting to where you might be holding three, four or five mils off of something, dialing turrets and, and doing things like that. Um, and then the really awesome part that I didn't expect to find um, is the, the community, especially that three gun is uh, like, I've never been to a, an event or a sporting event where you can walk in and say, Hey, I don't really know what's going on. And, you know, like, what do you guys think? And they're like, well, here's a pistol. Here's some ammo. Here's a magazine. Here's a rifle. Um, here's the targets. And this is the way that I would shoot it. Like, have fun, man. Just be safe. And that was literally, they'd tell me their game plan, give me their stuff, their equipment yeah. and say, go have fun. Uh, and that was something that I've not been experienced to like since the military, like the camaraderie and, and mm -hmm. here, like, there's some guys I shoot with. You don't see them for a year. And then you run into them, like, oh, hey. And it's like you never skipped a beat. You just yeah. kind of come right along. And that community, like, the shooting part kind of got me into it. But the community is really where, like, that, that's even if I don't, if I quit shooting tomorrow, I would still want to show up, and, like, RO a match just to hang out and kind of be a yeah. part of that group. Yeah, that's cool. Tom, how'd you, how'd you get into competitive shooting? You know, I, I grew up shooting too, just like, I mean, same as Chuck and, and, and Crystal, really, really young age really got into shooting and I enjoyed it. And then I got in the military and being an infantry dude, you know, we were constantly doing stuff and military ranges are not the most exciting. I mean, it's the same. We go, oh, we're going out and we're going to shoot range 400 or we're going to yeah. OP or, you know, whatever. And I burned out. Um, and the Marine Corps has a, a school called Sawick, Small Arms Weapons Instructors Course. Um, we did foreign weapons stuff. I did weapons packages for for the recon bubbas, and uh, we taught battalion gunners uh, in the Marine Corps. I don't know if the Army has that, but they're like the weapons specialists. They're like the go to for the for the colonel. They're the tactics and weapons guys. And so I got to do you know surface danger zones and stuff like that with them, and that kind of reinvigorated me into wanting to, you know to to continue to shoot. So when I moved back home. Um, my range was actually built before my house was finished, uh, which at the time really, really impressed my wife that, you know, I was able to have uh, range done. Before my house. Yeah. It was, it really was. Um, you know, when we started off small, went to a, went to a club match. Um, my uncle, I had an uncle that lived in this area was a jarhead and they had a 1911 match. And I'm like, Oh dude, you know, I love shooting 1911. Like there's nothing better than 1911. It's, it's King. Right. And so went to that and uh, did pretty well and just, I got stuck with the bug. Like it, I, you know, I went to my first three gun match and I was toting an M14, a, a SIG P220 and a pump action Remington 870, you know, like, and, and being the military guy, you think you're just going to just go out there and crush that. And uh, I still have videos from my first major match. And you're like, who's the little autistic boy running with the gun? Oh, wait. Um, <laughs> and then you know it, it it really set in and started you know teaching like crystal was teaching and i i, I guessed yeah. instructed the nebraska law enforcement training center and and it just it it struck hard and so i was pre-covid i was probably up to about thirty thousand rounds a year is what i was shooting wow. i was shooting anywhere from 
nine to 13 majors a year. Um, and, and, and I had to earn, I I had to, what we call earn a shoot. I had to, uh, I had to uh, RO a lot of matches uh, just to make sure that I had, you know, that I couldn't, I couldn't afford match and travel and all that. Yeah. So I worked a lot of matches so I could shoot the match for free. A lot of the matches will put you up. Um, Crystal, Craig, and I work a bunch of matches together that, that, you know, they, they do that. They'll put you up. Um, one of the matches around here, these, they put you up and they pay you a stipend, you know, so that, that helped supplement that income that was required for that. Um, and now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in a spot that I only work the matches that, that I want to, you know, I, I, um, Max Leah Grandis, uh, Jeremy Millard out here at Hornady, um, you know, guys like that, guys that, that I think do an absolutely bang up job of putting together a match and they treat their folks good. You know, I'll go help them. Absolutely not a problem. Aaron Hayes down in, you know, down in Texas, um, uh, Ken Nelson, Brian Nelson, you know, those guys. And that's really what started boosting my performance level was when I met Ron Avery, uh, Ron Avery and Ken Nelson were running uh, TPC tactical performance center out of Southern Utah at the time and uh, met with Ron. And, you know, those guys were super gracious, absolutely awesome instructors. Uh, and Ron Avery, you know, the science of shooting, that guy has forgot more about shooting than, than most people ever know, you know, so meeting folks like that, you know, kind of like Chuck said, even if I never shot again, I would, I would show up to work that match and be around that type of people. Yeah. Uh, we talked about uh, Craig Crystal and I were at a match in, in, in December out in Pahrump, Nevada. Uh, and we were talking about how cool the, the shooting community is and how supportive Chuck tucked on, uh, touched on it where he's like, Oh yeah, I had to show up and, yeah, we'll give you gear, man. Like we got ammo. Somebody always has something extra to get folks going. And and that's probably the biggest draw to me to the competitive shooting is just that, that sense of purpose or that sense of belonging. Like even if you, you, you've never done this before, as long as you're safe doing it, it doesn't matter what skill level you are. Uh, if you stay after it and you devote yourself, like Jake said, you know, doing the dry fire and practice those reloads, that progression will come over time. Um, and you don't have to, you know, you don't, you don't have to pay big money and go out to companies, you know, and do stuff. You can do the, the, the YouTube tutorials. If you're smart enough to be able to pause at the right time and try to figure out exactly how he's gripping that gun or the explanation that he gives, you right. know, cause Jerry, Jerry is kind of one of those guys that just does it, you know, I mean, he doesn't, you know, it, it just, for him, it's just so natural, you know, and for us, we have to work at it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I that's kind of what drove me is Sawick is probably the big one. And we've seen Army guys come through Sawick. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it uh, on the Army side, but uh, we had some dudes come through there. And that's that's all you do is teach shooting packages. And and it reinvigorated me. It 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 changed the flat range stuff that we were doing in the military. And it got me excited again. So that's cool. That's cool. Well, let me. Well, let me and, uh, oh, God. It's no, I was. I was just going to say to add to that, you know, you talk about Sawick, you know, I was the only officer at the marksmanship instructor course. They sent a, uh, a team from Georgia, from Benning to Hawaii to do the master. It's technically the master marksmanship trainer school. Um, it was about three weeks and I was the only officer there. And that is one of the biggest downfalls of the military is that, I'm I'm not saying every officer should go because but I'm just saying they don't understand 
the capability that it creates for the unit. And, um, you know, you, you nailed it on the head, like, uh, bring in, I'm glad you said that the army guys came over to that because that same thing we do at the Marine Corps, bring them over to our other schools like jungle school and stuff like that. You can collaborate and, and talk about each other's experiences to help. And obviously now you guys are on the civilian side and it's the same thing. Like now you're just trying to help people just like what you had. I had that same experience in Hawaii to some extent. There's a little bit of gatekeeping to that because we're a little bit more constrained there um, in terms of helping each other. But yeah, I was the same guy showing up with random crap for a match that I was not prepared for. And <laughs> you just do it and people help you and train you and teach you. And I'm hoping that happens at PRS. We'll see. Yeah. Um, because I don't know everything. I mean, it's you never know everything kind of thing. And I never, you know, you can have all this background or whatnot, but it depends on your experiences and how you, you know, absorb that information to process. Right. And, you know, so I just want to add that piece in because, yeah, that's, you yeah, know, okay. I'm going too much in the military, but that's, that's, that is huge. Yeah. That, that happened. Yeah. The, the, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. Let me, let me ask Crystal something. So, uh, What's what's it like? Would you say to other females getting into competitive shooting? So you got all these knucklehead guys running around out there, you know, thinking they're God's gift to the web, you know, to shooting. <laughs> um, uh, obviously, you, you've already put Craig in his place, so we got that. <laughs> that's so true. That the is, first thing you said was he takes my hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's a. Uh... It's a good question because like there's definitely obstacles as a female in any I mean like and not just like competing in in the in sports realms but in any um career field that's male dominated you know and I've I've kind of just lived in that world my whole life like right. I grew up with brothers like I'm the only girl um so I was I was a tomboy you know what I mean so I kind of adapted well into the career fields that I have um, but that doesn't mean that they don't come with their own obstacles. They always do, you know, and it's, it's not, I like, I, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily like guys don't want girls around or it's like, because I'm a female, I think it's just more of like that perception that like, we don't want to get in trouble because there's a female hair or we don't, you know what I mean? Or yeah. like, typically females don't have that training and, and that, that knowledge base, you know what I mean? I remember showing up to us to a sarch training and i was teaching pistol to a bunch of officers and they show up and they saw me and every single one of them rolled their eyes you know yeah. like oh great this is our instructor like what's she gonna teach us you know and by the end of the training every single one of them came up to me and was like that's the best training i've ever gotten in yeah, the army good. you know and so like it's happened to prove myself a little bit more typically um, in those realms, like I'm not given the benefit of the doubt, you know what I mean? When they're like, oh, she's a firearms instructor. It's like, I kind of have to prove that rather than yeah. just being like, oh yeah, like giving me the benefit of that doubt. And so I think on the competition side, it's a little bit the same, you know, you kind of have to prove yourself a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, you know, if you, if, if you have tough skin, it's, you know, you just, you let that stuff roll off you and, and it, it's hard, but like, you go prove yourself, you know, yeah. like the metrics don't lie. Like I can show up and like, you know, I place where I place. Right. And you place where you place. And so like, 
that's why I, I do love competition because it is like it's the place where like it doesn't matter you know your gender being a female or a male like you're gonna place where you're gonna place like you know and it's such an individual sport yeah you know i love team sports too but like the only person i compete with on that range is me you know and so like for me and like the what we do here at ovn and and what we you know to help overcome like mental struggles and stuff like that i think that's that's part of it you know is like i'm out there for me mm -hmm. and competing gives me not just the community to help me through those mental struggles you know and give me a, a support group but it allows me a place where i can focus mentally and i can work on myself and i and i don't think that you know it just is limited to shooting you know right. like I learn something every time I go to the range um, outside of shooting, you know, I learn about who I am, what I'm capable of. And just like you said, like, if I am struggling with something like that, like, oh, they don't trust me because I'm a female or I'm not getting the recognition I think I, I earn or whatever the case may be. Like, like, that's one of the things, like I can go to that range and I can shoot. And then people next to me are like, Hey, you're pretty, you're pretty good. You know what I mean? And it's it's a validation there where it's like I earned that and and no one can take that away from me. Yeah. I, I like what Crystal said there with, you know, it gives me an opportunity to work on myself, that mental focus. And whether it's and Jake will attest to this because he's in and, and Craig and Crystal, because they're multi-sport folks, they'll tell you that it, it's the same with us in the shooting world. We're working on that mental preparation. So we have to we have to clear that mind up quite a bit. Same thing, you know, if you're running dirt track stuff, trying to remember when that when that turn is, or you know, Baja, or even any any of that stuff. It 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 really helps you with the with the mental side and learning to 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 quiet everything else that's going on in the world at that time. Whether you're having a mental struggle or if it's a financial struggle, you know, a, a, a marital struggle, whatever it is. It helps with that that quieting of the mind kind of thing because we get to focus on one sole thing and nothing else is really interfering with that at that point in time. Well, yeah, you nailed it. That, Go ahead. That, I was just going to say, you nailed it on the head. I, I love that about competition shooting. You're sitting there looking at the stage, planning your stage, and then once that shot timer goes off, nothing else matters, nope. which is the greatest feeling ever. Um, and then afterwards you do a self-assessment, which is cool. And, you know, if you have buddies that are filming you too, that helps a ton too. And you do self-assessment outside of the shooting and into the next competition that you do. I think that's the greatest positive impact of shooting competition that a lot of people don't see. They may look at the more intricate details of how it's done and the, you know, the negative side to it that people have on the internet. But like overall, like I there's very few sports that that shot timer goes off. It's all on you. You're just, yeah. nothing else matters. That's right. what's cool about it. It's an unfortunate part about our, our sport, right? Like we don't get the recognition that a lot of other sports get because it's firearms. Right. right? And there's a lot of negativity around firearms and what they're used for sometimes. Yeah. Um, but like the athletes that are in this world, they have athlete stories just like any any other sport, yeah. you know, struggles that come with 
trying to be the best or trying to work through issues, you know, and those go beyond like, you know, I didn't shoot a bullseye today, but those go beyond, you know, like stress, like when you get to a competition, like my anxiety takes over, man, I'm, I'm a high anxiety type person, you know? And so like going to a competition, like the first stage is rough. Cause like my anxiety is peak. Yeah, you know, and so, like the first, the, that first stage run through man is the, it's the worst. But like, once you work through that and then you have that adrenaline dump and then you, you come up with tactics, you know, like, um, we've talked about this a lot and even like in combat training, you know, preparing for a trauma or preparing for like something you're going into, like you start working on your breathing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I have mental cues, you know, like in a notebook that I'll follow before I go into a competition. Like I'll wake up in the morning and like, I'll have those mental cues where it's like, like to not compare myself against the other shooters. You know what I mean? And, and to, make sure that like I hit my marks mentally before I'm just, I hit, I hit that competition, which helps me, you know, control the anxiety. It helps me control, you know, my um, comparison factors towards other shooters or what I'm doing, you know? And I think, I think those scales carry on to the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, I think that's the benefit of having a sport and 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 learning that capacity within yourself to to apply that to your sport but then to be able to apply those to traumatic experiences in your life too and be like you know what i i you know it's not the same but i have skills now right mm. to deal with those experiences yeah so, yeah i mean i think you got it go ahead go ahead chuck go ahead i think you guys are hitting it like uh, exactly like being able to clear your head um, I know that kind of like you, I got like a lot of thoughts and my mind's racing and that first stage, it's always that adrenaline starts to go and your fingers get a little shaky, the fine motor skills go away. Um, but ever since like getting in and competing at higher and higher levels, um, being able to do like the walkthrough, like mine might not be like all the way from the day of, but I know that like right before the stage, this is what I'm doing. It's make ready and you're going through your head and that last final breath. And then I am purely in that moment. At that moment, right before that buzzer goes off, I'm not thinking about, well, there's a target over here. I'm not thinking about, well, don't forget to reload here. It is purely, this is just happening. And, and what I kind of liken that to is, like in the military, I didn't really appreciate it at the time, uh, but you do all this training and training and training and all these dry fire drills, essentially. Um, and now here I am in the civilian world, like wishing I had more time to dry fire. Um, but then in that moment you're allowing yourself like you trust yourself enough that my body and my everything knows what to do i just got to actually be in that moment and let my body execute just the way it's supposed to and then all of a sudden your, your level of performance gets higher and higher and then and like the mental things that go into it whether it be work family whatever you're in that moment you can just your body you know what to do but you just give yourself the like the permission i guess to just do it and then all this it just smooths out. Yeah, you know that, that that's one thing, and I heard that from both actually probably all four of you in one manner. You know, we're we're taught in the military a lot of times we're trained by repetition, but we're trained for things to become a natural reaction, and uh, that's a great thing. That's where we see a lot of comparisons with athletes. Like we 
I've talked to a lot of athletes that have never been in the military, and their their goal is to make everything a natural reaction. You know what I mean? Whether it's a football player or whatever. But those techniques that both of you brought up, how do we overcome, you know, the butterflies, the anxiety, the you know, the transition? I start to walk through my plan. I prepare. Uh, what's my strategy? What am I going to do? Um, without going into that too deep, and, and I'm going to ask you a question about this in a few minutes, but I, I think one of the most important things that I heard from both of you is it took over your mind that nothing else was there when you stepped onto that range. And you said, "We're okay, we're getting ready for the buzzer to go. I'm not thinking, did I put water in the dog's bowl? Or, you know, what was the argument about last night? Or whatever it was, your mind's totally clear. So many veterans that we meet, they they cannot figure out how to clear their mind. Something as simple as that. They can't figure out how to have a straight thought to say, I'm going to, put my shoes on my clothes on today and I'm going to move forward much less do anything. And that's where we see so many that get involved in sports. It, it's natural. It's a natural process, just like being in the military, you know, and in shooting for any of the, the veterans out there listening that want to get involved with it. What all five of you are saying is, you know, this is something maybe you didn't know about, but you know, we have weapons training and it takes it to the next level and there, the camaraderie out there. Um, I heard multiple of you say, even if I wasn't competing, I'd probably go hang out. You know what I mean? That's such an important aspect of what y'all are doing. There's that community. So um, I want to, I want to, I'm going to circle back to a little bit about that in OVN, but um, I appreciate y'all bringing up about uh you know, about shooting, how you got into it. Everybody listening to this podcast too is we want you to know as a team, we're very accessible. So if people want to talk to an individual on this podcast, drop me a note. We'll definitely connect you. You know, we had the discussion about the females out there that might think, they, hey, I want to get into this. And, uh, you know, we got somebody that's very competitive and uh, Crystal can can definitely help you out there. Um, so, but before we get into a little bit more about OVN, I, I want to hear, I'll give you two options, each of you, and you got to each. So the last one that goes got more time to think. So either you can tell me the funniest story at a competitive shooting event or the funniest story while you're in the military. So, all right. I'm going to dive me out about December. It was like two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Craig, tell us what's, what's the funniest story about either uncle right into my my first three gun match. Um, and it's not, I don't know if it's, it is kind of funny actually, because here comes this big guy, six foot four, 270 pounds, three guns strapped to his body, all this ammo attached to me, bags hanging off me everywhere. And I'm walking up and it's the after shot show match. I just been spent a week at shot show and uh, Crystal's with me. And we roll up to our first stage and get to meet our first crew, uh, the people we're shooting with. I didn't know anybody at this match. Nobody except for Crystal and a couple friends that traveled with us to go shoot the match that are on different squads. Well, we get introduced real quick to four world champion shooters. <laughs> and I'm like, holy crap. Like, so we had Lanny Barnes, another female world-class athlete. She's a you uh um she's a biathlete. Biathlete from the Olympics since you know, 
constantly shoots around the country, all sorts of different matches, world-class athlete. Uh, Kyle Itzy, world champ. Uh, Joe Farwell, world champ in the East Coast. Uh, and so it was kind of nice to get under squad, and here we are, the two people, my first three-gun match, and we show up, and first thing they ask us, like, well, how much experience you guys got? And they're like, well, this is my first one. <laughs> and so I like my first stage, and they're like, do this, do this, do this, do this, and I'm looking around, and I am confused, and I'm, like, scratching my head. <laughs> uh, 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 you know, being an artillery guy, I'm not a dumb-dumb, but at the same time, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, it's, like, way over my head. What did I get myself into here? <laughs> and they walk me through it and coach me through it i ended up safe i didn't kill myself or anybody else and drop a fire i made it through that stage and at the end of that stage i just did i timed out i didn't make it to the very end i didn't shoot all the all the targets i i just remember going holy shit what did i just get myself into and um yeah, it was a pretty good experience from there. And they realized that once yeah. they realized that I was safe and I wasn't going to kill anybody, they all come in and they swarmed in and took me under their wing and said, oh, check this out. Do this. This is your shotgun. Cool. Oh, check this. This is how you do this. And and so. Yeah, it was that, like a three-day clinic. It was like a three-day clinic I got to go to. And, you know, and that's the one thing I will say about shooting sports is, yes, it can get expensive. You don't have to pay top dollar for all the high-speed gear. You can show up with what gear you got and what ammo you can afford. And there's going to be people that you can show up to and all these local club-level stuff. A few friends of yours doesn't matter. Just go out and try to do stuff with your friends or the clubs. Dude, you're going to run into some world-class athletes that are there doing the same thing you're doing at, at whatever level you want to do it at. And that's the one thing you can do. It And it's it's just grateful to have good people out there in the shooting sports yeah. and you'll have access to that. Like the motocross world, if I want to go race supercross athletes, I've got to go earn my pro card and I have to be a really good athlete. And I'm not going to be there 47 years old. So I won't be able to go line up on the supercross star line, but I can go to a three gun match and I can go line up with all the world-class athletes I want. Yeah. That's cool. Stuff, but and you don't have to be there if you don't want to be. Like you can stay at the local level and still shoot against some really fast guys. That just it's like drinking with your bros, but with guns and ammo, not beer and alcohol. <laughs> well, all right, all right, Tom. What's a funny story? Let's. Well, I don't know if I can tell you the funniest one from the military. I honestly don't uh, know if some of the people involved in that would appreciate it, or their current <laughs> spouses. You know, this was long before, and I don't know if some of the stuff that we did was repeatable. Um, yeah, yeah. some of these places but uh i will go with my last deployment um we were getting we were getting ambushed we were just outside of uh the uh they called it the triangle of death we were out of the camp fallujah um mm. uh campus gonderia kind of in that area that the, the the zion province and uh, we were there, and there's this these reed lines that these guys like to attack us from all these canals and stuff all the time. So we decided we're going to go out and burn these reed lines. Well, green green reeds don't burn very well, so we brought a lot of liquid straw in the form of JP8, uh, <laughs> gallons of JP8. And we're dumping this JP8 on these, on these reeds and starting them on fire. And this kid that we called Fez, because he looked like Fez off of that 70s show, <laughs> Uh, was peeing by the canal and slipped and fell in his own piss. And 
I would not let him ride in my vehicle back to the camp. Oh, geez. I made that kid ride on the back of the back on an up on the back of an up armored Humvee. We, you know, we were the third one in the stack, so hopefully nothing was going to happen. But I made him sit on the on the fuel rack on the back because he was not getting the, his piss covered clothes all over my seat. You know, in 130 degree heat. So yeah, man, I, yeah. I did make him. I did make him sit back there. Uh, real quick, if you'll indulge me to to give Crystal's most embarrassing moment. Please. We we, we talked ahead. about those those pre-match jitters and that yeah. first stage jitters. And I watched Crystal Crystal take a header like scorpioned herself so hard. On she bled. I have a rifle now in my possession that if uh anything ever goes sideways, I'm just gonna drop it because the the, the DNA that's the amount of DNA that's on that rifle <laughs> that belongs to Crystal is actually really, really insane. But she took it like a trooper. I mean, bleeding from yeah. I don't even know if her hands healed up yet. I saw yeah, I saw the pictures. Yeah, yeah. But she, she headed it pretty hard and that was pretty comical. You know, we always like it. You know, pain pain is pain is always comical. Hey, yeah. but I finished the stage. You did. You did. So she was safe and she was absolutely yeah. She yeah. she she uh, destroyed herself safely. Let's let's <laughs> yeah. we'll go with that. Oh geez. All right, Chuck. I know. I know you guys. You know, you, you, you army guys had to have some. Uh, the young army guys definitely had to have some funny stories out there, or shooting. Man, really, well, I was just saying, really, the army ones. They're, uh, you know, like uh, like Tom said, probably not, a lot of people wouldn't appreciate the, uh, you know, uh, all, all the drunken stupor. Uh, we we do have our own sense of humor. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, shooting wise, uh, the uh, at Memorial Three Gun last year, uh, so I got to shoot like they're saying I got to shoot Joe Farewell and, and Martini and all these really really good shooters. Um, and Joe Farewell and I think I, I it was Onward Productions he had where they were like carrying around cameras and making promo videos for all his stuff. And you know they're they're getting stock footage everybody and they asked like oh yeah you can record it's cool. And it just start it just got done sprinkling on one of the stages. And it's like an option one where it's kind of back and forth and back and forth. And you're kind of running around. And I get to the end and I had a little head camera on. So I got like professional footage for me eating it with the camera on my head and like all the sounds that I made in the process <laughs> of it. Uh, like I, I ran, like thankfully, like, you know, I didn't DQ. I fell down. I hit the thing so hard. I kicked all the stakes up, smacked the RO with it. Like I couldn't breathe. I had to finish the stage going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so bad. Like, and it was right in front of God and everybody on campus. We need like an OBN meme of just all of us eating, eating. Yeah, shit. yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, Jake. What's a funny story? I know you got one. Oh man, I, I know I'm last, but uh, yeah, like Thomas said, uh, it's kind of hard to talk about some of them because. Yeah. Uh, I guess one that sticks out is, uh, so when I was on the gun line, uh, we were triple sevens. So Craig and Chuck are familiar with that. Thomas, you're probably familiar with that too. And crystal. Um, but there's two different methods. When you lay the gun, you can have the wheels down or wheels up. You know, there's always a fight between that because if your wheels down, it's quicker to in place. If it's wheels up, it gives you more ability to, uh, you know, hit the, uh, left or right you know certain mills anyway so we went wheels up and uh it was the first shot we're shooting charge one because it's hawaii there's uh the box is about 
as big as a 1200 square foot house. I don't know. It's tiny uh, in terms of the SDA S SDAs is what you guys are familiar with probably. And um, so uh, we had the wheels up and we had this guy Diaz pull and cord. That was his job. And he pulls it. And that's when the, uh, you know, it's the uh, boy, Craig, you're going to, you're going to have to help me jog my memory on this, but that's when we got to lay in the, uh, it's self-laying at that point, right? We dig the spades, but we were kind of yeah. letting it self-lay at that point. We're trying to be expedient. Yeah, dig in. And uh, what? Yeah, trying to dig in. So they the guns will self-lay, um, meaning it'll dig in when it uses the recoil from the artillery piece. But happened was the uh, the soldier Diaz who pulled the cord that wheel ended up smacking him into the ground. <laughs> and what happened was it went viral across the internet and people started oh. using remix songs into it. um i can't remember the song like it's I've seen that video I've seen that video jake i've seen that yeah, it's my, it's one of my guys i served with yeah Poor yeah game. and it's like uh-huh you know you know what i'm talking about <laughs> yeah and uh that was pretty funny uh shooting wise i don't i honestly don't have much the the best one for me and we've all probably experienced this, but you get some ROs or guys around the clubs that are a little, little bit uptight, a little bit on edge, a little bit think they know everything. And this guy, they started like, we were supposed to start at eight. It started at 10 and they were rushing us through our stages because Hawaii has a rule. It's a state owned range. It's the only range open to the public, but it's state owned. And we had a rule. We had to be out there or else they, you know, lock the gate on us. And, uh, that guy was so mad in between switching to different stages. He was messing with his rifle and his vehicle and he shot through his vehicle. The guy yelling at us to, uh, yeah. So, uh, that was kind of a funny victory moment. Cause it's like, you know, but I, I hate showing the negativity of that, but it was kind of funny. Like, Oh, that's yeah. karma right there. But anyways, that's, that's as good as I got that I can tell legally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Statute of limitations hasn't run up on the rest of it yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm still freshly out, so a lot of these guys are still in. So I gotta be careful how much I tell. You know? Yeah, yeah. There's we don't we don't want to hear in the news there was a massive discharge from the army. You know, three days after we had did our broadcast, <laughs> there's there's a story with a helicopter and a 320 grenade launcher. You guys can read into that one pretty well. Yeah, Black Hawk helicopter, a gun, and a bunch of antelope. Um, yeah. The, uh, so hey, that 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 was cool. I wanted to kind of transition into that, you know. And, and some of you touched on, you know, a little bit about different struggles. Um, you know, at OVN, we we know the presence of the challenges a lot of veterans go through. And the heart of what we do, why we do it, is because we lose too many that we don't reach in time. And I'm sure each of us on this podcast and many listening, a picture immediately comes to my mind as soon as I say that. Somebody, you know, that I knew and served with that we lost. And, you know, in my mind, I always wonder, you know, what what could we have done? What could I have done different? You know, what could we have had that conversation with with my buddies and so on? But that's a lot of the heart of what OVN is about trying to figure out ways, a lot of times unorthodox ways, thinking out of the box ways of how we can get our fellow veterans uh, off the couch, off the bar stool, and get mm -hmm. engaged with something y'all said, 
a community. You know, we 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 want to make sure people don't know we're not. We tell people every day you can compete at any level. We don't care. Uh, we just want you to get involved in that because we know there is community with that. And from what I'm hearing today, the shooting competitive shooting community is pretty amazing. You know what I mean? Uh, so we 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 really like that. We want people to hear that. But now that you all are are some, like I said, I I can tell you right off, Craig and Crystal have been two amazing members of this team. They have touched the lives of so many veterans that they don't even realize or know they touched that have reached out to us. And uh, the way this system works is, or this program works is most every athlete we see saw another athlete. Um, Jake, I don't know if you know this, but Crystal saw Jackie racing snow bikes and through that reached out to me and Jake knows Jackie very well. And all this just kind of worked together for a reason. And this is when we start to see OVN and this team come together. And not to go on too long about this, but every member of the team that I've met, especially these five right here, is is we we see you bringing something to the team that is just it's changing the way we shape this thing every day. And and uh, multi sport athletes and so on. So what would what I'd like to do to kind of as our as our last part of this. Talk a little bit about each of it, just just a few minutes or whatever you want to whatever do. But why why it's important to you to be a part of the team and why it's important to be an athlete on part of this team and what it does for you is is what I'd like you to tell the the group. And and we'll pick on well, I mean, we're all veterans, but we'll pick on the the veteran athletes and uh, Craig, we'll, we'll ask Craig to go first. So I've been picking on you all night. Might as well keep it up, huh? So, <laughs> so I mean, it's been a great couple of years working with uh, OVN. I think it's been two now, I believe. If I remember right, two, almost three, two and a half. Um, and you know, the biggest thing for me was we got to band together with uh, like-minded individuals. All of us are former, you know, veterans. Not all of us are retired and went through the long your 20 plus year career in the military, but that's not, doesn't matter. It, ne it never mattered. And it didn't matter what level athletes we were when we signed up as a team. Like we all felt like we communicate with each other on social media. And that was our biggest way we stayed in contact. But it was nice thing is like, I could message my teammates from the East coast and say, Hey man, how's it going? How you doing? What you guys up to and stay in touch that way. But the biggest thing for me was be able to spread our message across my outreach of people that I have around Utah, Arizona, Nevada, Idaho, Montana, and now we're going as far as Kansas uh, with Veteran MX. Like we went and participated on Team OVN. Sent I think there was six racers last year to Kansas, and we were part of those six racers. And and man, did we set ourselves apart from the rest of the veteran MX crew. There's like 130 of us there, and there was us six. They're all jealous. They're like, how do we get on the team? What do we got to do? Like, that's the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And it's just basically just getting together as veterans and spreading our message of how we care about each other and what it is that this can provide for each veteran. Every veteran needs something different. So it's kind of nice that we can be like, hey, you enjoy this hobby. Well, have you thought about maybe participating in that hobby a little bit more consistently and competing yeah. in it instead of just every now and again? 
and to help you out mentally and physically and giving yourself that challenge. And yeah, it's definitely a blessing because then we also have those avenues of counseling and therapy and veteran outreach of a, a like I don't know how many people I've reached out to that use that um eight six six, I believe that number was the the emergency number. Because mm-hmm. they were having such bad anxiety and bad issues. They didn't know how to cope. So they call out in line and and they knew that we were direct avenues for that. So they come to us yeah. and say, what do you got to do? And yeah, just sharing that message. And honestly, I have that van with the big OVN sticker on it. And I think that that I get that attention from everywhere I take that van. I'm like, what's that? What does that mean? Yeah. So it's good because yeah. the outreach never stops. And then it's obviously on my social media. You can tell that I don't stop. It is always going. So yeah. Yeah. that's just how I am. I love to do that. I love to share the message. And I truly care. I've lost too many of my friends to veteran suicide and some that are really, really, really close. And I still struggle with that battle on losing those guys on a daily basis. And so it's, Something I draw dear to my heart and crystals. She's lost a couple members in the last in the last six months. She's lost yeah. a couple friends and do the same thing. And it's just an ongoing message we got to keep going with to kind of fight this because we're we got to take care of each other. And this is the best yep. way we can, I believe. Yep. I yeah, I appreciate that, Craig. I mean that that is the social media aspect is uh, you know I tell people we use social media for the right reason. You know, it, it 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 does have a lot of value for us on that side and, and what y'all put out there. Uh, you know, I know some of us are humble, but it carries a lot of weight to see videos of you competing and photos of you competing because veterans can really put themselves in your shoes when they see that. They're like, oh, I could do that. Or what did he do in the Army? He was artillery or, you know, he was infantry in the Marines or whatever. And we really need to make it to a comfort zone. That is really what almost every veteran in, in crisis and need I've seen is they want help, but help is too complicated. Help is too confusing. They need to find somewhere, and it's not sustainable. That's a big problem. They get connected to help. They don't stick with it because it's uncomfortable and they can't sustain it. And so they leave. And then, you know, all these organizations, the millions of them that are out there, they can't figure out why. But what you all do and what you all are engaged in is something that is simple to get engaged in. You work hard at your sport, but it's your comfort zone. And that's what we're trying to get out. And, I, and that's exactly what I heard that all through what you said, Craig, is the camaraderie. We expand it out. I share what I do. You know, these that that's now your comfort zone, you know, and, and other veterans can feel that. We, we get that direct feedback. Well, I mean... We'll talk to two of the new, the newest guys here. We get both your opinion, but kind of tell us, you know, what drew you to us, and then why you wanted to be part of that. Go ahead, Chuck. Uh, so for me, uh, I well, I first learned of it through like the VA. Uh, you know, I, I get all the VA newsletters, and it, it posted something down there. I was like, well, well what is this? And I started looking in your the organization, and um. I've, you know, like everybody else, I've lost people and I know people who got out and they didn't necessarily, you know, it didn't have the worst things happen, but you know, they're kind of misguided and uh, they lost a lot like divorces and not yeah. being able to see their kid and all these things, just the mental health side of it, which I see to be the biggest problem, you know, physical things are a problem, but the mental piece is that's something that just about anybody who's in there has some version, uh, uh, you know, uh, of a mental 
I don't know, let's say disorder, but something going on in your head. Um, and, and something that really came. So I was, I was fortunate enough to compete at Duskin. It's a, uh, it's a charity organization that, that uh, sponsors a, a three gun shooting competition at Fort Bragg. Um, and it's in memory of Mike Duskin, who was a special operator who really believed kind of like us, we all wanted to train, be proficient, be safe, you know, uh, kind of increase the lethality of their, their unit. And they had a chaplain speaking there uh, la this last year. And they were saying that before long, most people won't remember OIF, OEF. That'll all be a long forgotten thing that we don't think about anymore. You know, like adults today, you know, you think about it, the 18 year olds today were born in a, not even in 2000 anymore, you know, like, so we're getting up there where people are going to forget that whole struggle. Um, and then you start to look back into history and see like Vietnam and World War II, all the, all the big conflicts that caused a lot of issues. Um, and all that stems back to like the, well, like it was a big thing at the time. And then they kind of just faded away into obscurity. Um, and this is a way to kind of keep that alive, make sure that people that still are dealing with that, you know, not that we're by any means out of any conflicts, but, um, right. you know, having an outlet for that, having a way for someone to, to get help. And, you know, maybe it's a, it's intimidating to go to the VA or another outreach program, but hopefully I'm more approachable to that, you know, because right. a lot of people just don't know where to start, where to go, who to call. But it's real easy to see somebody like, oh, that's the, you know, see me at the Walmart or something like that. And be like, well, hey, I had a question, you know, or hit me up on Facebook or Instagram or one of those things. It's, it's a little more accessible. Um, it's low visibility. You don't have to put yourself, you don't have to pour your, all your stuff out, you know, and you can hopefully, uh, you know, affect people in a positive way. Is, yeah, that's my hope. Yeah, that's I appreciate that. That's a really good perspective. Tom, how about you? Um, I, I learned about OVN through, uh, Craig and Crystal when I first met them guys. And, you know, we talked about that community thing and, and we met at a match and then like that entire match. I mean, we were, we were everywhere together always, you know, uh, uh, I don't know what you want to, I don't want to say that we were conspiring against people or anything like that, but we were always together in that little group. And you got guys like J.R. Martinez, you know, and and Nick Kamatsu, and you've got the Raider Project and the Gallant Few. And like Chuck was saying, yeah. like, Nick's a great dude. Uh, and and I know Nick and I uh, because of where he was at. I mean, he was a Marine Corps dude, very big motivational speaker. And I, I knew Nick just from the special operations community. Um, but most of those guys aren't as reachable as what the athletes at OVN are, you know, like it's. Craig kind of touched on it too, you know, like you might have this and, and it kind of goes along the same thing. He's like, if I wanted to run Supercross, I'd have to get my pro card. You know, like I, I'm not going to do that at 47. Mm -hmm. um, well, unless you know, Nick, or you're, you're paying money for, for the books and stuff like that, or J.R. Martinez, unless you, did, you didn't know him, those guys aren't as accessible as the OVN yeah. folks are. And I thought that was really, really cool. Um, not everybody gets the opportunity. Um to go to, you know, the gallant few or through the Raider project. So having this network of individuals across the country in every facet of sports and stuff like that is really, really cool. And I thought that would be, be something, you know, like Craig said, to spread the message is just really cool to be able to be part of that and maybe be able to network somebody that um, like Tony brought it up in one of our first conversations, having somebody that's a jujitsu guy, Hey, we got those. Yeah. and getting him in touch with somebody and that was just just kind of a neat deal you know because we're 
Chuck's in North Carolina and Jake's in Idaho and Craig and Chris are in Utah and I'm in Nebraska and Tony's in Pennsylvania. And it just, we, this huge network um, that is free and it's accessible 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I thought that was really, really neat. And I wanted to be part of that and be able to, you know, maybe, maybe stop somebody from doing something stupid someday. Yeah. No, no, no. Excellent point. And uh, Jake, how about you? Well, I guess I'll switch the conversation a little bit, but like, I know you guys love your officers. I'm sure while in, uh, so I'm going to officer this up real quick, but uh, you know, to give a little background of me like I was the worst retention person we got it. I got shoved down. I was really good relationship with my sergeant majors and they would come down to me and be like, you need to retain your guys. You need to retain your guys. I was the worst. I was like, Hey, if you want to get out, get out. Like the military always wants you back, you know? And I think the greatest thing hearing from all of you, um, no matter if you were four years in or 26, you found something you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. And you're not only passionate about in your own individual way, but you're trying to influence others, whether they're in the military or not. I think everyone finds a certain line in their life where they, you know, don't have like they just, you know, they're they go to work every week. They kind of digress during the weekends, however that may be. And then they go back to work that week. And uh, just seeing that from my standpoint, uh, I keep in touch with as many guys as I can. Uh, I'm fortunate. I got I get reached out to my, my guys, whether they be officers or enlisted or warrant officers even. Um, you know, like I love hearing from all them. Like recently I, I found out a guy – that talked to me frequently about, you know, he was 34. He was a specialist. Um, he's like, well, you know, should I stay in? Should I get out? I'm like, you have so much potential, man. Like, here's all the avenues you can go. And uh, I found out he's in Southern Utah pursuing that dream of becoming a commercial aviation pilot, but also knows that he can join the guard and still serve if he wants to. Like, just seeing all you guys do that on a, you know, through your passions or, you know, whatever it may be, that's super cool from my perspective, because, man, I mean, so many of my guys were like, oh, I can't wait to get out, you know, whatever, because of this, that and the other. And uh, that that's hard. You know, once you get out, it's like the reality sets in of like, oh, I don't have all these things covered anymore. I got to, you know, step up. And unfortunately, some of those guys are 22 years old getting out yeah. who don't have that family support behind them, too. and um you know, finding that thing that drives you, you know, I think Crystal and Craig hit on it, but like quitting the extra stuff. I used to joke with my guys, how much do you spend at the shop ed every week? You know, they talk about not having money and I'm like, well, it's over a hundred dollars at least, you know, stuff like that. Finding those ways and, you know, get rid of some stuff in your life to pursue those passions and dreams. I mean, it's so cool to see, um, in my opinion. And then just having this program where it's not, it's not an ordinary program from my experience. I got, you know, I was fortunate. I got to meet Craig at shot show. Um, we talked quite a bit and he came out to me at my booth, which if you've ever been, if you ever get to go to shot show or have ever been, it's not, it's not easy walks everywhere or whatever. And crystal, I think you were sick right yeah. that night or that day yeah. or something. Yes. So I would have liked to meet you cause I kept calling you Craig through text. Um, no but, uh, <laughs> You know, it yeah. it's really cool. Last time somebody calls me Craig. <laughs> <laughs> but uh it's just really cool. You know, I got to get to know Craig a little bit and there was no like 
you know, hey, what do you do? And it was just like, it was pretty casual, you know, and just that community and sense of taking care of each other is there. And like, our experiences are all different. Like, yeah. you know, Tony, I'm sure we'll do some more talk on how in less than a year I got into the snowmobiling community. That's not an easy thing. And you don't get rich off it. It's something you love to do, but everyone kind of wants to do it. Same with motocross, Craig and Crystal. I could, you know, my brother trains Jason Anderson right now. Uh, I'm very heavily involved in the motocross community since I was five, I was racing. And this, you know, back to the shooting side of it, 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 you guys are absolutely right. Like you get to meet so many cool people. And the thing I hone in on too, is like, you realize too, that there are really amazing pros that get all this media coverage, but there are some really great locals too. that are just good, solid people to me in the community. And if you can encompass that with the veteran community too, and you know, I got plenty of guns, I got plenty of belts. I'd love to get people into it. Yeah. Um, I'll do whatever I can to get people into it and shoot, I'll cover the ammo for the first match. You know, that's the kind of influence that this uh, community provides. Yeah. That is just so awesome, I think. And and this is speaking from somebody who is not heavily involved as the three, you know, the four of you probably. Uh, and I'm trying to work on that and get more involved. But I just think that's so awesome listening to you guys uh, from a perspective of somebody who does worry about, you know, how is, you know, Moreno doing? How is Ruiz doing? How is Diaz doing? You know, like stuff like that. Those are my guys that, right. you know, we served with, we talked about things and, you know, so it's, it's really cool. I, I, I love yeah. it. It's awesome to be a part of. It's that, that's a really important part of it. Staying in touch. You know, I'll say before I go to Crystal, I, one thing I'll say about that is when we're in an event and we set up a veterans or display booth, uh, we get, you know, we'll, veterans will come around and, you know, typically I get out from behind the table, go talk or whatever. And a lot of them, some, you know, you can kind of get a feel, but I, I can strike up a conversation with a veteran or a veteran can't to another veteran it, within 30, 15 seconds, you, you're already talking about something you're both familiar with. It, it's amazing how fast you can do it. But I often ask guys or girls that I see, you know, there's some challenges there. I, I asked, I said, when's the last time I said, give me the name of somebody that really meant a lot to you, like one of your closest buds when you were in the military. You know, it's like if you deployed, who was one of those guys or girls? And, and, and I mean, it, they'll say it within seconds. And then I'll say, when's the last time you talked to them? And it's amazing. It's like 50-50, sometimes less that they haven't reached out, they haven't talked to them. And I said, and I said to a lot of them, I'll say, you know, and, and this is in the literal sense, you, you'd put your life on the line for that guy. You did that for each other. And you got out of the military and you went back to wherever you went, but you haven't talked to that guy or that girl in how long. And, you know, when, who did you lean on when you were in a really bad challenging situation it wasn't bad i mean it was bad maybe the environment combat whatever it was that guy next to you or that girl next to you and it's like why don't you reach out to him now when when you ever do that or just in general to see how they're doing if they were that important and a lot of us we we just took that for granted was that was our time a lot of the vietnam guys and you know they're like they they just took it for granted they wanted out so bad that they just went as far away from the military as they could. 
But a lot of those guys eventually circled back and they made connections and they cry on each other's shoulders because they have missed each other so much, but there's that bond. So that was kind of a long version to say, you know, it's good to hear you say that, Jake, about staying connected. And we encourage every veteran, if you haven't talked to one of your buddies, you know, um, I, I'm not a big fan of this, you know, the all these lingo thing. Oh, my buddy check. You know what I mean? I mean, buddy check to me was wearing my chemical warfare gear and the guy beside me making sure I didn't have anything loose. You know, that was a buddy check to me. But it, it is important, to, you know, that the term buddy checks meant well. So so anyways, yeah, good, great, great points. So, Crystal, your your uh, last one here. Tell us. Um, last word. <laughs> no pressure. I said I'm last words. No pressure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, I mean, I, you know, I happened upon the organization, like you said, and for us, it was a, a way to, to get into another community, you know, and, and share the sports we love. But I think, you know, I'm not going to rehash what everybody said. I think they, the, each person is, has pointed out something that on the mental health side where this organization helps, but I think the special part about OVN is the fact that we're not a traditional mental health organization, right? Or, you know, I mean, we will help if you need mental health counseling or whatever, we'll get you that. Right. But I think that's the beauty of pursuing something that you love is that it gives you the motivation to come out of that shell that sometimes, you know, when you're in those those places in your life that just seem hopeless, you know, not much can get you out of that. You know, you know, a, a, an appointment with a doctor, uh, you know what I mean? Even family and friends sometimes can't pull you out of those places, but passions some kind, sometimes can, oh, yeah. you know, those passions, those things that run deep in your soul allow you to come out of that and allow you to break the behavior you know the bad behavior patterns and so i think that's that's the benefit of being you know a veteran athlete is that we're pursuing things we love and that's that's the motivation you know like i'm having a bad day i know i can go dry practice for 15 minutes and break the bad behavior or the, the bad you know pattern cycle or i can go out for a dirt bike ride and i'm gonna feel better afterwards right you know what i mean and so i think that's that's the benefit and then and then like you said the community like knowing that I can show up to my community and someone's going to be smiling and happy to see me and that, and that, that can make all the difference. Yeah. Yeah. That that's an excellent point. I mean, so to everybody, um, to everybody on this, this, uh, session or, uh, session, boy, that made it sound like some kind of doctor's appointment, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, as I tell, probably I've told every one of you when I first met you is I'm the last person you want doing any kind of therapy. <laughs> but um, uh, no, I, I really appreciate that. And that is what it's all about is it's it's literally a peer to peer process. It's we are veterans to be there for each other. That's our motto. Be there for our veterans. And, uh, you know, you're shining examples of the passion in veterans to do what they do. Um, we we got to find a purpose in life, you know, and a purpose can be a sport. You know, you you dial in and Chuck said it well. I'm waiting for that buzzer to go off. There is nothing else in my mind. I am dialed in and you work hard for that. 
And to everybody, I don't care if you're at the lowest amateur level or like you said, some of the pro, we've got some veterans that are some amazing world-class athletes. We've got some on our team. You know, we have the world champion MMA women's uh, uh, champion uh, who is a Marine. And I haven't announced this yet, but it'll come out on the podcast and, but I'll announce it before that, but we have a new Marine on our team. Who's a captain in the Marines who is on the uh, USA bobsled team competing to be in the Olympics. And she's, she's in uh, Austria this weekend competing. And we met, talked, she loves what this is about. And I, the reason I bring her up is I want to say this is we're starting to look at, you know, uh, Crystal is still serving in the, you know, the, the national the army national guard. We need to reach out to the people still wearing the uniform as well, because they're, they're, they're having the struggles in, um, Chuck, you mentioned OEF and OIF are going to go away. We have people serving with people that never, they don't know what that is. And they're both in uniform and they can't relate. Um, so we, we love having active duty. So any active duty, National Guard reservists out there. We've got plenty on the team. It's open for you as well. Um, and and you know we we love like something Tom represents as law enforcement. You know if if we have any law enforcement out there, there's no reason why we would we'd love to support our law enforcement. You know so uh, anything we can do to help them, we're we're all about that. So so I I won't keep everybody. I appreciate you. We could go on. I have about ten more questions I'd like to ask you, but. Um, I hope everybody, uh, I know I did, you know, what we talked about tonight is was meaningful. And I think you got the point across of why we're doing what we're trying to do. And that's the goal of this. So, um, the final thing, uh, Tom, you mentioned, we've got athletes in 16 different sports in 27 different States. They compete, including Hawaii now with, with our buddy, uh, with Tyler and, and, uh, uh, McKenzie down there. Um, so we're all over, reach out to any of us. Um, and even if it's not competitive shooting, you can reach out to somebody on this team and they can get you connected with anybody in another sport. Um, just reach out to us. Our website's opvetnow.org, Operation Vet Now on all the social media. And uh, everybody. Have- Thank you again for joining us for the OVN Ambassador Athlete podcast series. We hope you enjoy meeting and learning more about our competitive shooting team. Stay tuned next month for episode two that will include our rodeo competitors who compete in bronc riding and bull riding all over the country. Thank you again and thank you everyone for being there for our veterans.